0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Post A Project Recovery Strategies for a Post-COVID-19 World, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Nutanix. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We look forward to your participation. Uh, We have our questions and comments box, so please uh, send in those as they occur to you we will take them later in the program. And we're going to do a little audience poll, which should be a lot of fun later in the program so we want to get you involved. Uh, Just so you can set up your screen the way we like it uh, first click on the top Center and get it into side by side mode, then you can slide the divider to get those boxes, the right size to make you comfortable and you want to see it say speaker view in the top right hand corner. So you see how we're going to spend our time today. We're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our featured panel discussion. And today we have Kishore Ravilla, CTO at Ohio Health, Brad Garlock, Senior Director of IT and, and Security Officer with Gastro Health, and Cheryl Roddenfels, CTO of America's Healthcare with Nutanix. And then we are going to have our Q&A. So let's jump right into the discussion. Um, Kishore, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Thank you, Anthony, for inviting me to the panel. Um, Ohio Health is a faith-based, mission-driven, uh, large one of the largest healthcare system in Central Ohio, serving forty-seven counties with ten hospital, uh, twelve hospitals, and two hundred plus ambulatory settings. Um, my role, I'm the first CTO for Ohio Health, and you can see that, they, that the organization has, uh, has taken a step towards investing in technology. Uh, I've been here for almost a year plus. Um, my background has been mostly in uh, insurance and banking before I started uh, my role at Ohio Health.
0: Very good. Thank you. Uh, Brad? Hey,
2: everybody. I got Brad Garlock with Cash for Health. My gastro Health is uh, a gastroenterology specialty, I originally started in South Florida. I've been with the company for about six years. Uh, a little over four years ago, we became the first gastroenterology that was private equity back. So we have a lot of growth, a lot of expansion. Uh, when I first started, we had about 45 physicians. We're now up to about 270, 280 uh, in four states. Um, other than that, we offer you know, a lot of different uh, specialties, specialty pharmacy, anesthesia, uh, pathology, things along those lines. Um, so very, very happy to be here with you guys today. Excellent.
0: Happy to have you. Cheryl?
3: Yeah, hi. And um, if you're not familiar with Nutanix, we provide a platform that allows you to turn your enterprise into your own on-premise cloud. Plus, we do cloud integration. I am a former CIO uh, for large system out of Chicago and then chief technology officer out of two other systems um, and a former Nutanix customer. um, And I spend a lot of time working to help organizations reduce their complexity and um, improve their operational efficiencies. The other thing is everybody is very cautious about the money they spend. um, And we want to make sure that your dollars go further.
0: Excellent. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Brad, let's start with you. Talk about the impact COVID-19 had or continues to have. I had to adjust that this morning in light of the news that we're all reading on your organization and community.
2: Yeah, so it's, um, you know, from from a business standpoint, uh, I think probably like everybody else, we saw a significant drop in patients. uh, Being gastroenterology specific, a very large majority of ours are elective procedures the this is mm-hmm. you know colonoscopies endoscopies whatnot um and and those numbers just just fell through the roof uh, or i'm not sorry through the roof to the floor uh so that obviously drastically affected us um having people working from home working remotely switching that overnight again that was also something that, that was very impactful uh we actually have offices that are in uh, Kirkwood, which I think most people will recall that was the first reported deaths in the country were in Kirkwood, and our physicians were actually the uh, gastroenterologists for the hospital when those deaths occurred. So they had lockdowns in those regions. Uh, people couldn't leave. So overnight, just drastically impacted us, and we're, we're still going through those challenges. Uh, certain states that we're in have kind of uh, you know relaxed and started going through different phases and allowed elective procedures, where other states are much more stringent. Um you know, one of the states, Washington in particular, just when you're going in for a colonoscopy, uh, we can't clean the room until 15 minutes after the procedure is done. And then, of course, there's the cleaning routine. So, you know, even if the patients want to come back, the amount of procedures that we can do is, is close to half of what we, we could do before the pandemic hit.
0: Very good. You sure?
1: Uh, it, it was interesting times for us because uh, we almost encountered the same thing, what Brad has uh, mentioned. Uh, the challenge has been for us is uh, holding back uh, the associates who are no longer um, having to do anything with elective procedures, right? We came to a screeching halt and the number of, uh, of the elective procedures completely so it impacted our workforce by 2000 plus uh, employees just staying home with no active, uh, no active duty to be uh, doing. So the organization has stood up and, and, uh, we took care of them. Uh, that was a, that was something that wasn't planned for. So, um, the, the community realized the importance of uh, having a strong financial, which wasn't anticipated, but, uh, we withered through that. And, uh, after we opened the elective surgeries in the last four weeks uh, we noticed that uh, uh, we are slowly ramping up and now we are at 70 to 80 percent of our normal capacity Uh, but interesting things we noticed from the population is uh, uh, they are afraid of coming to hospitals they Mm -hmm. they are afraid that they can't take time away from their uh, um, from their day jobs because they are concerned about their uh, if they take time off, they're going to lose their job. So um, it's an interesting mix of things that are happening in the communities. And uh, as we reach out to these population sizes, we are trying to pacify their concerns and trying to do all we can so that uh, they can
0: see that, uh, that we are there for, for the patients. Very interesting. Cheryl, what are you seeing?
3: Um, we're seeing a mix of everything, especially since we're all over the country um it, it people are cautious um but you know some of the stories we're sharing and, and this is one i actually had heard from Kishor. is they had to contribute to the community treatment plan where they went with the other hospitals in the community to help set up one of those centralized um, treatment facilities and so um they spun them up pretty quickly but I'm guessing that they've spun them down, too, until they figure yep. out, um, I guess we thought we had enough capacity, but as we see the numbers go up, um, I, I think there's still a lot of those community efforts going on. Of, are we going to have those community treatment centers um, if things keep progressing like they are?
1: You're right, Cheryl. Uh, we have three major hospital systems in Columbus, um, Columbus City area. so. We came together uh, under the guidance of our governor and created alternative sites of care, ASOC, what we called uh, using Columbus, uh, um, the biggest uh, convention center we have and, and created all the temporary beds. And like you rightly said, we had to dismantle that off because the surge we anticipated didn't happen. Again, it's in the betterment of the community, right? We are prepared as much as we can.
0: Very good. All right, let's start with you, Kishore. Uh, what are some of the main projects that were interrupted by the pandemic? Uh, at what stage were they and what were the, so where was the reallocation? I would assume the reallocation was towards COVID needs, but you, tell me about that dynamic.
1: I want to, I want to emphasize on, on one thing that you said, reallocation, right? Actually, there is no budgets anymore for us. That was a big, big thing that happened to us. He said like, we, our FY starts from uh, uh, July 1st to June 30th. So once COVID happened, we went back to the drawing board and said like, there is no, no more uh, uh, business as usual. So whatever was allocated for FY21 is no longer applicable. So we are revisiting mm-hmm. everything, okay? The uh, some of the big things that impacted us, we were planning for, uh, uh, you know, uh, finalizing on our data center modernization, and um, one of the big aspects of that is a spend on a hyperconverged infrastructure. So, uh, been working with closely with Cheryl in 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 building that case for us. So we had to put a pause on that because uh, because of COVID, purely because of COVID. Um, and uh, we take quarterly upgrades for Epic. So we push them back by uh, two quarters. So we did not take uh, any uh, upgrade uh, for this quarter. And we are not going to take something until August. Um, in addition to that, anywhere we, we could have spent money for, uh, on a capital side, uh, we said, like, this is, uh, this is the time we need to, we need to pause and look at uh, the spend. So we started emphasizing on the spend side of it. So um, the, there was a mandate coming from us. If it is absolutely necessary, we got to make a case for every quarter and go to the opportunity to, to showcase the value for the organization. So that's where we are. Um, because one of the key things is, is we, we emphasize a lot on our associates. So if we can save anything, we want to make sure all of the associates have their employment taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. We can't help with the pandemic, but we can help in saving the jobs as much as we can. We're really proud that we did not furlough. We did not have to take uh, uh, any pay cuts or we plan to take any pay cuts. So. That's that's why it has become important to look at our spend and uh, figure out a way to protect our own um, our, our family, if you will. So that's where we are.
0: Very good. Very interesting. Um, Cheryl, your thoughts there?
3: Um, we're seeing that, and you know, uh, it, it hits everybody differently. Um, and this is why the organizations, and it's not just IT, but everybody has to watch that cash on hand. Um, you know h- how do we keep operating? But well, we've seen everything. But I will say that 99% of organizations that we talked to have slowed down. Um, the challenge with that is if they haven't made decisions to replace equipment that was aged before, it didn't get any any younger. You know, while they things have been on pause. So if you and, and hospitals are are. They like to stretch the resources as far as they can. So if you have equipment that's been there for five, six, seven, eight plus years, it's now that plus another three, four, five months. So it's some things are going to move backwards because, um, as as Keyshawn had mentioned, you know the Epic upgrades. Well, there's features in there that you you want to take so that that you can upgrade. It's the same thing with your your equipment or it's the same thing with these other projects. And so. When things uh, free up, you have to prioritize better. And I think what people are finding, um, you are spending on absolutely what is necessary to get you to that next step, that it's stabilizing your environment. You're going to have to do that because it really isn't the aging process doesn't get put on hold.
0: Really good. Very good stuff. Brad? Yeah, so um, I actually found
2: kind of a mixture of both. Um, I would say it's almost equal how many projects or initiatives had slowed down uh, versus how many were, were picked up. So a, a couple of the ones that were, were interrupted would certainly be our, our integrations slash implementations. So you know, as I stated earlier, we're private equity backed and one of our key business strategies is full IT integration across the country at any location we come in where we're standardizing Hardware and switching, and you know, data center platforms and hyperconverged infrastructure, and EMRs and whatnot. So, being that we had the travel restrictions and things along those lines, that just had to, you know, immediately come to a halt. Uh, I wouldn't say that money was reallocated anywhere. That's still our our business strategies, and it will still happen at some point. We just had to stop the spending and stop the travel, you know, until we could make it through that pandemic. Uh, Another area that I saw some, some very interesting changes is is construction and physical office space. Uh, because we were expanding, we were growing just here in South Florida at our, our central support center. We had purchased several new offices that we're getting ready to construct. Well, now, instead of 250 people in the office, there's five or 10 per day. So, you know, how that money is going to be reallocated, I think uh, office building space is in for a, a very long uh, long road because uh, i i just don't think we're going to need the the brick and mortar certainly at the, the support centers anymore you know there's still practices of course um so those were a couple of things that really got slowed down some things that you know drastically accelerated was um, the rolling out of you know video conferencing through teams zoom this and that uh, teams had been one of our major initiatives that we wanted to launch well this you know gave it a shot of adrenaline and within a week, we had two thousand people trained on on Teams. Same thing with telehealth. I think everybody, um, you know, that's that's not news to anybody. But in our case, in particular, we went from doing almost zero telehealth appointments to doing, on average, sixty five hundred to seven thousand um, a week. And that that was in the month of April. So we rolled that out within a, a week or two. Something that had been on our radar, but quite honestly, just wasn't pressing. Uh, and then finally, I would say something that also accelerated was the expansion of a unified communication system. So, cloud based communications, whether it's Ring Central or whatnot, where people can work at home, billers and collectors can answer the phone calls, um, you know, call center staff, et cetera.
0: Very good. <clears throat> lots, uh, lots going on there. Uh, anecdotally, anybody I talk to uh, who's been working from home who doesn't have to physically be there to do their job, they don't want to go back. So you talked about the office space situation. I mean, it's going to be like pulling teeth to get some of these people back into the office. So that's going to be a fascinating dynamic as individuals and companies grapple with that. Um, so that's, uh, you know, we'll see how that all shakes out. Cheryl, let's start with you. Do you feel like the worst of COVID has passed? Um, and if so, how do you think I mean, you met, you talked about this a little bit in your previous answer, but if you want to expand How do you think about the process of picking picking up where you left off and the complexities? Again, you mentioned about uh, it doesn't get any younger. The stuff's not getting any younger and prioritization. But any more thoughts on how to manage that prioritization because you can get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, you're going to have a lot of trouble.
3: So no, the worst hasn't passed. I live in Texas, one of the states that is, is seeing record numbers again. Um, but I think one of the things that healthcare has been, had a mixed bag over is, um, data and the companies that are able to produce good analytics are being able to manage their businesses more effectively. Um, and that means everybody isn't pulling a spreadsheet or they're not pulling, um, you know, like Keisha mentioned earlier in a huddle they're in a huddle and they're listening and you don't get these people reports, what you get is they're using analytics to help make those decisions. Those are the organizations that have the environment working on their behalf instead of having to continue to go through um, and working harder on the environment, right? So they're having uh, automation and they're having um, analytics tools uh, do a lot of the thinking for them. Now, as far as um, in the process of picking up, they still have those things. It, it's just um, kind of what Brad, manch- Brad mentioned, you know, maybe instead of I, if I can address the remote workers first thing, because we're going to have more and I need that environment robust. Now, how do I stabilize my telehealth environment because I've added uh, additional services besides the one that we integrate properly with our EHRs and so forth. We did add Zoom and we added Teams and we added, uh, name, name your favorite, right? Um, and the communications. These are things that um, were just enough for just enough people to be remote. So the priorities are shifting a little bit that says this is going to be sustained that this remote setup is, is going to be way more important than some of the things we have. Now we have to prioritize that as well as watching the resurge in patients. So you're going to have more healthcare people in the hospitals taking care of the healthcare part of this, but at the same time, um, you've got to have a robust environment so that the people doing the operational things can do those too.
0: Uh, Brad, it's, it's complicated, uh, but I guess it starts with the vision of the future, right? And that's a lot of what leadership is. Leadership is maybe the CEO or whoever else saying, here's what I think, right? Uh, I'm not looking into a crystal ball, but based on my experience, here's what I think the future will look like. Hey, Brad, make sure our technology is aligned to support this vision of the future and maybe build in some flexibility in case I'm a little bit wrong. <laughs> Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. So I I want to add uh, to build on what uh, Cheryl said, if that's okay, Anthony. Yeah, Um, please. You know, um, whether COVID stays or it continues like this, uh, the the world is not going to be the same like we were used to, right? It has changed already, and it is going to continue to change. Um, I think Brad touched on it, and I'm going to repeat the same thing to a certain degree because it's the same thing happening across all health systems. We had an 18 month plan to roll out telehealth because of COVID. It happened in three weeks from 15 pilot doctors to seven to 800 physicians jumping on the bandwagon. I don't know how they figured it out, but we are there. Right. Uh, And it is continuing to grow. Uh, The model study is a different connotation, but that is, that is becoming the new norm. So, in that process, you know we we are doubling down on our virtual health, just not telehealth alone, um, with different avenues on home monitoring and uh, uh, all the, all the things that we could do from remotely um, and and we created the first product team to to start um, start delivering those uh, promises in that space, and uh, we have uh, you know uh, my boss Jim Beast has uh, took a bold step convincing the, his peers that digital first is a new norm. So we are laying the foundation for that and uh, over the few next few months or weeks we're gonna figure out what the digital first means and a big part of that is the data and analytics side of it right it, if you want to really build a digital platform, it is completely driven by the data and the quality of your data um, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the value and, and the care uh, care, or the caregivers are driven more towards the home side of the equation, which means we have to be built to accommodate the data flood that is being given by these devices. How do you make sense out of that? The same thing applies to the real estate. We no longer want to keep building brick and mortar, right? Our office space has been consolidated now. We are, even if you ever come back, we are looking at 20% of the workforce only in any given building. And people who thought they could never do their jobs remotely, they think that, wow, we could do it now. They never tried it. They didn't have to try it. But now they're forced to, and they say that it is working.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yep. So the dependency on technology is grown to go more and more, right? And how do health systems are um, are prepared for that? Because uh, when I first came from uh, insurance and, and banking, it was always the, the uh, you know, I'm going to quote something that I copied is, the, strat, the business strategy, if there is any business strategy for, for an insurance company, it is just the IT strategy. Because if your IT is not there, um, then obviously there is no business strategy anymore. Um, and when I came to healthcare, I think it wasn't the case uh, when I started, but because of this pandemic, uh, the reliance on technology has grown so much. And I, and I can only see that it is going to uh, accelerate in that pace.
0: Brad, any more thoughts on uh, picking up the pieces? And, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: absolutely. Gotta, so um, to, to kind of, uh, I, I guess, clarify my, my thoughts here, um, I, I do think that from a business standpoint, the worst of COVID has passed. Um, whether or not the disease, you know, nobody nobody's going to know, uh, or, or the illness is, is going to you know, keep, keep getting worse. Uh, certainly it looks like it right now. But some of the things like Kishore was just saying, we've already rolled out telehealth. People are already comfortable working remotely. People already know, you know, what they need to do both personally and professionally. So if there's a major resurgence, I think we'll be better prepared from a technology and business standpoint to react to that uh, quicker, more efficiently, more effectively. Um, so I don't think we'll have quite as much panic as we did with this um, original case. Uh, so I, I think that would probably be the only thing that I, I really want to add. That's where, if there's a silver lining to this, I, I think that's it.
3: Brad, didn't you guys uh, quickly add? Sorry, Anthony jumping into. No, asking, you go ahead. You go ahead. Didn't you guys add that express service during all of this too? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was going to bring that up at some point. Um, so yeah, we what we had added is a GastroHealth Express. So the, the idea of the express is to, number one, not expose patients to hospitals where there may be COVID cases. So I, I can't remember earlier, but somebody was talking about, I think it was Kishore, there, where there was fear of going to the hospital. Um, so we said, okay, let's take away that fear. And our endoscopy centers that are doing elective procedures are no longer doing very many elective procedures. So let's use those endoscopy centers and keep gastroenterology patients out of the hospital and bring them over to our centers. So number one, it would obviously you know help our financials, help our staff, um, You know, so we, we may not have to do furloughs for these centers that are completely closed, but number two, you know, the, the biggest thing is it helps protect the patients, and number three, it helps the hospitals keep their beds open for more critical patients. So we already have that established. Um, so uh, of course, if, if we get another resurgence, it's nice to know that we already have that playbook and we'll roll it out immediately instead of taking five or six months to partner with or five or six weeks to partner with the hospitals and and et cetera so thank you for bringing that
0: up cheryl like all the restaurants with the contactless pickup right you order online you pay online they leave it on the curb so that's healthcare's version is what you're working on yeah
2: and we're actually doing something very similar now that the centers are open where um you come in for a, a colonoscopy and you know, your wife brings you, your wife is no longer going into the center. You're waiting in the car until somebody calls you and you go straight into the procedure room. So there is no waiting rooms, uh, keeping as much social distance as, as possible. So that's that's been some, some very major shifts and I think they're gonna be here to stay.
0: No doubt, very interesting. All right, next question. Uh, Kishore, let's start with you. Would you bring consultants and contractors back on site again, if not, how does that change project timelines and resource needs?
1: Well, we ourselves are not going into, uh, going to on site, And uh, some of the transformations we are going through right now, they already are working remotely. Um, and uh, I want to emphasize on one thing. Uh, my role has been to increase our architecture and engineering muscle. That uh, that is a little bit different. I think Cheryl you can watch me for that. Is anytime we talk to providers, uh, rarely we hear that they have an architecture group. So what we are trying to be, do is um, build more our self-sufficiency as we build our digital-first strategy. It's important for for us to have a, a strong work.
0: Nope, too sure, sure that's you're, you're, that, right you you're breaking up a little bit um do you want to try and start again with that thought?
1: Can you hear me now
0: Yes yeah try okay. just try that statement again if you would thank you
1: yeah um, so as we are bringing uh, building our own internal workforce and upskilling them, um, our reliance on contractors and consultants is, is uh, reducing um and if we are to rely on them, uh, we have decided to make it remote only.
0: All right, very good. Uh, Brad? Yeah,
2: we, we would definitely consider. We haven't yet, um, but as different regions are, are starting to open up, so we've started doing our integrations and implementations again. So we've started ordering the hardware necessary and whatnot. We'll be configuring those in-house. Um, but as, as far as the installations and the go-lives, uh, a lot of times we need on-site training, you know, 20, 30 providers. We're actually doing our first um, remote training for a, a new uh, care center that we're bringing on board uh, where we're doing it remotely. But we're still going to have to have a mix of on-site contractors and consultants It just can't, you know, IT is IT. Somebody has to go out there and plug it in at some point. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have to uh, use it, but we're, we're force-ranking everything. We're looking at what's absolutely necessary, what's our business strategy that we want to you know, proceed with, and then acting you know, with, with a lot of caution. So we're bringing as much in-house as possible, uh, but we'll, we'll definitely need to lean on contractors and
0: consultants without that. Cheryl, what's your advice there?
3: Um, I like what Brad said about forced ranking, and because that was one of my questions for the future is, um, you really have to decide what comes first and, and where your time and effort is spent. I think part of that is, you know, based on, again, what something Kishore said about, you know, the financials that he no longer has um, really making sure that everybody's comfortable. And it's, it's one, making sure your technology gets out to making sure you still have the support um, because clinicians still have to practice clinical things in in the proper setting but you want to make sure that, um, they, that they're not out there and feeling like they're doing this job all on their own. They still need you to support them. They still need to make sure that everything works right every day um, and it just doesn't happen by you know, magic fairy dust. You've got to make it a, a safe, secure and really purposeful environment and that really speaks to making sure your environment is reliable so you do have less touch so I, I think that's a really good way to go about it.
0: Right. It sounds like uh, you know Cheryl. What you're saying is that with this vision we have of the future, there's a stakes to play infrastructure requirement. So well, let's not forget about that. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. All right. Oh, Kishore, do you want to say something? No, no. I'm just saying that, that, that that's so true. Okay. Very good. Whole agreement. Uh, Brad, let's start with you, we're seeing additional waves of COVID-19, uh, how are you preparing and could you envision putting projects on, can you see this dynamic happening again? I think uh, from your previous answers, you said we're going to be better prepared. Uh, some of the building blocks of handling this kind of thing are put in place, um, but your thoughts on you know, where this could go and how IT professionals can best position their organizations for whatever happens?
2: Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, going through the process of, of kind of formalizing a game plan, whether it's a business continuity plan or an emergency plan or whatnot, so you, you have all that stuff in motion is, is actually kind of key. I think a lot of people reacted, but we haven't you know, formalized the, the process. of Here's exactly you know how we're going to react when, when something like this happens. Um, but exp- expansion in, in key technologies, I think, is key. Uh, we have been working uh, with Tanix on a VDI solution for quite some time. Uh, we'd had it in the pilot phase. We successfully have launched it now, 250 or so uh, users, and expanding on that. Uh, as we move forward, that that will be a, a key tool where people can you know virtually get their desktop from anywhere in the world. Uh, collaborations tools has also been a big one. We mentioned Teams. Uh, use a system called Smartsheets, but allowing people to collaborate. Virtually and not face to face is big. I mentioned unified communication systems and also RPA, uh, robotic processing. That's something that we've launched this year in a couple of different aspects, particularly in revenue cycle management. Um, and that's something that could really assist in the future. So just continuing, you know, to expand those key technologies. Uh, Cheryl already mentioned the gastro health express, uh, telehealth, uh, of course. Uh, finally, I guess I would say that I could absolutely see projects getting put on hold again uh, if things reach a critical threshold. Like I said, a lot of ours are require integration, require traveling, require onsite training and support. Uh, if the numbers get get very bad, absolutely, those things could could be put on hold again until it's safe for patients and for
3: staff. Cheryl, um, I I see it um, because everybody has to do patient safety first. So mm-hmm. you've gotta make sure the patients that are the sickest are taken care of. You've gotta make sure that the staff taking care of them are safe. Um, there's a point where everything else becomes discretionary instead of critical, right? And we've seen this. It happens every time there's uh, you know, a hurricane. It happens every time there's a, a, some other sort of drill. Hospital organizations have prepared for this time and time again. But the events tend to last only hours to days, instead of weeks to months to however long this is going to be. Mm. So I think it's it's just changing that mindset that instead of this being an event, it's it's going to be much longer. And I don't know what that time frame is, um, but it will continue to adjust. You know, patient safety first, clinical safety, and then everything else falls below that line to discretionary.
0: Mm. Uh, Cheryl, you treat things differently if you see an end to it and a return to a previous state of being. What if at some point you say there is no return? Does that change how you function and how you do the job?
3: It is. And I think that's something that we're seeing more people talk about business resilience. You know, when we had our business continuation plans, it was, okay, if I have an event, then something comes back, I'm continuing my business. That business resilience talks about um, how do I change as the environment has changed and I adapt. Um, we said this here a little earlier about people don't want to go back to work except for your kids. You want your kids to go back. But, you know, for for the most part, um, we are all adjusting as this environment changes. We don't know what the next changes are, but maybe we get a little bit of time um, to help adjust between, you know, those goals, the patient, the safety, the businesses have to make money, right, so, as they adjust, maybe that 's it. Maybe the project list becomes only those five projects we absolutely have to do. all those wish list items take them off the table right so I, I think we 're going to see this um, as it sustains, and then, after a while, there will be some sort of whatever that next plateau we get to sure
0: it's, it's very interesting. Um you know what we're touching on right now um and maybe one way to think of it is the uh you know the amount of money you invest in something or the duration for which you make the investment so you know you might not sign a lease if the, if you just signed the lease now you know how long did you sign it for are we stuck for a year or can we negotiate out of it if a lease is coming up uh, this is just an example because it's sort of easy to think about right. if a lease is coming up Um, What do we believe the future is like, you know, do we want to sign a shorter lease? Um, If you believe something is permanent, you make a bigger, more substantial. You push more money into the middle of the table, to use a gambling analogy. So what are your thoughts around that? Again, it comes back to leadership and vision of what the future will bring. And then we have to skate to the puck, so to speak, and try and position ourselves for that future we've envisioned.
1: Um, I want to add to what Cheryl just uh, mentioned uh, right I mean technology is has to evolve you can't keep it in the state where it is, whether we want it whether it 's covid or not. We can only delay the 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 inevitable upgrades or uh, modernization of anything that we are doing right because um, the world around us is changing. I can't use the Windows Seven and say that uh, you know I'm going to be there forever because of COVID, right? That's not going to work because it's not the hackers and the and the and the and the cyber risk that we are going to induce into the systems by uh, delaying the inevitable is much riskier than anything else, right? Um, that said, what we took uh, the position is COVID is going to be there whether it goes or stays, let's assume that it is going to be there. Now, what is business as usual in that world? Uh, when we said the finances are not there, we took a different approach um, and said, like, instead of yearly budgets, let's do quarterly budgets. Let's get together and see how we are progressing instead of laying out everything for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that is actually helping us a lot as well as uh, reprioritize When it comes to real estate, that is a different ballgame completely. Uh, We have decided not to renew the leases that have have come up because organizationally we felt that we will never be able to get to 100% of whatever um, we used to. So we are even doing virtual happy hours. uh, We are doing virtual team events. Anything that we can get by with virtual, that is what we are trying to make a new norm. Teams are thinking about resiliency, living in the, in the Webex uh, uh, syndrome or, or anything that you'd want to say, right? We are glued to our screens uh, almost eight hours a day. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we are looking at well-being indexes and things like that. So um, anything that the future is gonna throw at us, uh, I, I think uh, our investments in technology is gonna pay away. Uh, 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 like Brad pointed out, we went to O365. Again, it was a a 12 month long uh, change management that was involved, but because of COVID, business wanted something uh, that is shareable instead of sending out through emails on everything. So we started leveraging uh, uh, sheets and all the office suite online. So sharing became a lot easier. So people are actually learning pretty quickly how the technology is there without having to go through the training when it comes to these uh, basic utilities. but what we are trying to instill in the IT workforce is technology is not stagnant. Whether COVID or no COVID, different, right? We have to continue to embrace the, the evolution that is happening. And we have seen cloud. We are seeing, uh, you know, now serverless coming into play. Hyperconvergence is in play. And Cheryl has been helping us uh, in the space of uh, learning more about hyperconverged infrastructure. So we are going to tip our pros into VDI, the Nutanix, as soon as we get to the um the, the financial uh, that we we need to make that move so it's not that uh, it's not that we are not going to evolve the only thing is the privatization based on the evolving market around us
0: all right very good we're going to get our uh, audience poll out there so we're going to launch that right now take a moment and answer that if you would it's an anonymous poll and we can get our panelists state you can answer it as well. Um, Pre-COVID priorities and associated projects need to be thoroughly and formally re-evaluated before being resumed. Um, I think we all expect a high percentage on that, but, but let's see. Um, so let's go to our ask a co-panelist feature. Uh, Cheryl, I'm gonna let you go first. Do you have a question for uh, Brad or Kishore or both?
3: Yeah, for both. So we talked about, you know, we've we've talked to some folks and they mentioned, you know, we've got telehealth people um, and we've reallocated staff to help be basically telehealth help desks. A little bit broader, um, how has your staff's role changed or has it changed, whether it's um, the skills, responsibilities, and processes of your staff? Talk to us a little bit about What's different for them uh, really over the, about the last four months or so?
1: We took two different positions, right? Uh, one is for the clinical staff or the caregivers, where we, we gave an opportunity to uh, reallocate the resources that happened at the system level. And when that was happening, uh, I, as Jim Weiss, our, our CIO, took a position saying that ID is going to be, play a prominent role. Um, we need to see if there is any bandwidth that is there. How do we move around people internally? Because of the same thing that what Cheryl mentioned, that the telehealth uh, help us has spiked up. So, but we weren't prepared to put the same number of resources in telehealth because Epic, as our EMR, is still going to be there for the system of record. We are still hiring nurses. We are still training um, our clinical staff in that. So. It was, a, for us, it was an internal movement of resources. So we took a, a snapshot of the skills that are available and who were willing to move into the different roles. Um, that kind of helped us balance in the IS space. It's not that we ever had to go to that. Uh, in the clinical space, uh, you know, like I pointed out, the system um, wanted to have their own way of doing it, like because uh, elective surgeries were uh, completely um, put on hold. So um, um, a surgeon who is doing that may not be able to be moved to treat COVID patients. So we said like, okay, who can be reallocated and how can we support their, um, their transition as well? And so far it worked out as well. And now, the, um, now, now that we have opened up elective surgeries, we are slowly ramping that up and, and trying to uh, if the de- 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 allocate if you will, um, the resources that have been pulled into the COVID pandemic uh, uh, urgent situation.
0: Brad? Yeah, so, um,
2: you know, I, I think the the biggest thing I've seen when it comes to the, the staffing is kind of twofold. Number one, um, more more collaboration or even more teamwork than we've ever seen before that I've ever seen before. So I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. We have uh, somebody who used to be in the health informatics team who has now moved on to uh, you know, different integrations and projects and whatnot, still involving technology, but not part of the team. Well, obviously when the COVID hit, and you know, those, those projects had been put on hold and put on pause. This person came to assist with building interfaces and doing data migrations for some of our integrations where we'd stopped outsourcing. So we stopped bringing the t- contractors on site. We kept it in-house and a lot of people are wearing a lot of different hats, which is, is very exciting to see and, and really you know, promotes a lot of team spirit. Uh, so I'm seeing that more than than ever. Uh, also from a, a personal standpoint, when I'm hiring, I, I'm certainly looking for a much higher skill set because of that collaboration and because you may be wearing multiple hats. You know, the days of me looking for a guy who can, you know, fix a desktop and that's what I need. Those, those are pretty far behind us. I'm looking for a very high skill set, somebody who can bring a lot of, of knowledge to the table.
0: Very good. All right. Uh we will take a look at our poll. Who's gonna you know we assume this is gonna be a high number. Uh Kishore, what do you think what what's your guess uh, for agree? What percentage agree?
1: Um I think it should be like, let let seventy
0: percent. Seventy percent. Cheryl? Ninety. Ninety, Brad. 100%. Seventy and
2: ninety. One
0: hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think
3: everybody
2: will have said yes.
0: All right. Well, let's share the results, and the winner is Brad. Ninety-seven percent, Brad. Ninety-seven percent. Well, yeah. So that's very interesting. Um, all right. Let's go back to the ask a co-panelist, Kishore. You have a question for your co-panelists.
1: Um, I, I would like to learn more about the strategic investments in the digital side. Right. Um, we, when we say digital, what does this mean? Um, in the post-COVID world? How are we actually trying to handle that? Um, and, and particularly with the new HHS rule that has been passed that the patients can own their data um, because that has been one of our top priorities now because I think uh, we are asked to address it by the November of this year. So that is that that I anticipate as a game changer in, in healthcare in general. I'd like to learn more what, uh, the market or what other provider systems are looking at it as.
0: Brad, you want to start? Uh, yeah, it's,
2: it's. I think for us, a, a very key is our business intelligence investments. Um, our RPA's and BI, so our systems are rolling in as we're rolling out this this new um, technology and all this data that comes with it. You know, Kishore, you've spoken about data a lot, and we're finding that's Absolutely key. Um, that business intelligence system being able to take you know information from multiple EMRs and multiple PMs and you know the payroll systems and our legal systems and, and whatnot and compiling it all together and being able to use that data to drive decisions, I think is is really something that is, is gonna be crucial in the future. And it, I just keep seeing it growing and growing and becoming more and more important. Um, now hospital systems, you know, I, I think the larger healthcare industries, they've invested in this for for years, uh, but some of the smaller, you know, practices or, you know, people in our space where we're not huge, but we're not small, um, it's it's critical to jump on those investments now, so it
1: will pan out in the future. Sure. That did that answer your question? I hope. <laughs> it did in a way, uh, but... Uh... Uh, but from an interoperability standpoint, right? That's a big thing in healthcare, which I, you know I'm still have to grapple my head around it because uh, finance world has solved it, but across the world with uh, Swift protocols or ACORD protocols in insurance. But even with Excel Seven and Fire in place, um, I don't think we are there yet. And when when we are asking the systems to uh, provide patient data to whoever they want to in whatever they form want they want to, right? I see that as a biggest challenge coming at health systems. Are they ready? And, and, and uh, um, we've been working on that for, since I got in because we didn't have an enterprise integration platform that supported these protocols, right? Um, that's what I want to learn because the, way, the situation where we are in um, may or may not be holding back the requirement to meet those needs by November, right? And, and that's where I, I'd like to learn. And, and digital is again, very subjective. Uh, and i think brad you nailed it uh, rightly um without data and without automation um I, I don't think we can ever get there
2: yeah and i i completely agree with you it's when i was speaking on the business intelligence system that's it's more for the back end allowing us to take multiple systems that right. you know are integrated and they don't have the interoperability and we can make sense of it it's definitely a whole other challenge when you start talking patient facing and, and whatnot so i i agree and if anybody on the uh on the call has the answer to that go ahead and put it in
0: the chat box for us (laughs) well well, let's see let's see if cheryl has the answer
3: yeah no so not the answer but i think um you know keisha going back to digital transformation i think the first thing you're going to have to figure out is how to get rid of paper right because you still do so much paper that's a COVID hazard sorry so it's not so sexy and it's it's not the greatest thing but the first digital transformation is get rid of paper the second thing is You've got consumers driving how they react to the data. They don't have all iPhones or yep. Androids or whatever. So it's one thing if you can interrupt, you know, the and integrate all the information at the back end. Yep. This is what you're still seeing with the telehealth, with everything else in the front end. It's consumers want it, how they want it, when they want it, and how they can understand it. And you're right. They did figure that out in banking, but they still have the challenges of, When I get into my banking portal, um, we can do that. And and I think part of that is, and going back to your background, is you came from customer experience. Healthcare is investing a little more in customer experience, but it's still pushing stuff out because we had to check the box for meaningful use. Now we're going to have to check the box for interoperability. But um, so you've got the paper, you've got the uh, consumer driven, what they have, now the rest of that is what who plays well. Fix the easy ones first. If you got an HIE, epic, you know the epic Care everywhere. You've got, um, you know, the CERN of the meditech. All of those things where people are willingly put in, or your data feeds from your community health to help drive those analytics. Um, that's where you need really good partners, really good data scientists. But not everybody can afford one of those, right? So we're going to see, hopefully. Um, this evolution and this transformation, but it's going to have to come. It's not just IT, right?
2: Yeah. And Kishore, I'll, uh, maybe I can follow up with a very short question. Uh, what What are your thoughts on commonable? You know, we're talking about being able to share the information and, and whatnot. I know it's it's very you know in the beginning stages, in my opinion. But but what are your thoughts? Has that really relieved any of your your ability to for interoperability?
1: We are with Commonwealth Care Quality and also Clinisync. Uh, but what is uh, missing in that entire pipeline is, yes, we are giving data, it's a pull versus push and no, not an event-driven approach, right? Um, what I learned recently is, uh, particularly for referrals, uh, there, is a, there is another uh, uh, protocol or uh, technology that is being embraced by EMRs, which is 360X is coming into play that will help us a lot, right? Um, but these are all to Cheryl's point and what you mentioned is backend, right? System to system are talking well, but how do you make it uh, uh, available for a consumer, right? That, that's gonna be the key is, um, let's say, I will give you an example. Uh, one of the consumers, let's say decided they want to give Bank of America access to their health record. I'm just making it up, um, but Bank of America may not be able to support hl 7 fire. So, what is how, how do we give them uh, a reasonable, exp, exp, uh, you know, um, explanation, saying that hey, these are the things that you, they, your your uh, receiver of data should be handling it, and if they are not doing it, we can do it, but you got to pay us X amount of dollars to make it happen, right? It, it is a whole new world that we are going to get into when it comes to sharing consumer data. So uh, I I I'm not sure I have an answer for that because we are still in the formative stages of handling all these different protocols but if it comes to system to system communication and everything I think you have direct trust you have a commonwealth uh, clinisync there are uh, HIEs and uh, HIMs that are already doing it right um, the consumerization aspect is what that that, that is uh, intriguing and and uh, the healthcare industry as a whole have to come up with some solution or the other. That's what my thinking is.
0: Cheryl, I'm going to give you the last word today. Any final thoughts on the overall theme of our webinar today, which is project recovery. Final advice to our CIO, CTO listeners.
3: You know, it sounds like everybody needs to be flexible. You need to work on, you know, change the priorities as the organization's priorities change and be flexible. You had your heart set on what project and all of a sudden that doesn't really matter if the organization has to change funding, they have to change their focus. So make sure you're in line with what the CEOs are doing and and what the chief operating officers are doing and really be flexible and um, also teach that to your teams says you know we might have been going down this path and today we're we're going down a different one and today you're wearing a different hat than you wore yesterday but we're going through this and it's, it's going to make our organization stronger.
0: Yeah so Brad mentioned a different skill set he's looking for in people today and um, there's also a different mindset I think that employees need to have about dealing with change. Some people can get frustrated when they're told all right stop that now do this um, so that's got to that's got to go away or people who can't adjust, you know, need to uh, maybe not be working in the same environment, but it is a new world. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap up our event today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email from us when the on-demand recording is ready. And if you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our site to register for our upcoming webinars with that i want to thank our panel kishore ravilla brad garlock and cheryl roddenfels and i want to thank our sponsor nutanix very much great conversation i think of tremendous value and i want to thank our attendees for coming with that everybody have a wonderful day thank you thank you